Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sarah. And I'm Beth. We're lawyers, mothers, and co-hosts of the bipartisan podcast, Pantsuit Politics. We have more in common than divides us. In a world that defaults to false dichotomies, we explore the messiness of living wisely. The choices, trade-offs, priorities, and grace of living a nuanced life. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for another episode of The Nuanced Life. We're going all in on back to school today. Your advice, questions, and commemorations are there with us. It is what is the dominant topic in our lives. Topic feels too light But that's where we're going today. Back to school. Sarah, your kids started today, right? Yes. My school system is currently on what the kids are calling a hybrid plan. So we were supposed to start in-person instruction tomorrow, Tuesday, as we were recording. And then the governor said, hey, guys, I don't want you to go back to school till the end of September. And then my school system said, cool, we appreciate the recommendation. We will back up our in-person plans. We're going to start virtually. We'll have an A-B schedule for two weeks. So my kids are going to go in person on Thursday and then Monday, Wednesday, Friday next week. Then we'll be five days a week. Now, I will say, of all the school systems, perhaps in the entire country, but definitely in the state of Kentucky, my school system is sitting pretty. And let me tell you why. Because the (laughs) chair of our Board of Education is, I'm not making this up, an infectious disease doctor. (laughs) Uh, He is our local infectious disease doctor. So I hope our superintendent starts every day on his knees thanking God for that, because it does put him in a nice position to have an expert right there as the chair of the Board of Education to help him make these decisions. So that's where we are at. We started today online. It went pretty well. I mean, a couple technological snafus, but I think for the most part, everybody got their work done. Not too much work. You know, we're just getting to know each other. But it's like a little sort of like an online syllabus day, which was always my favorite day in college. But otherwise, we're we're moving forward. We start tomorrow as we are sitting down to record. We will be all virtual until September 28th, at which time apparently some magic is going to happen. Things are going to (laughs) change tremendously. And we will go to a hybrid schedule where kids are in school two days a week. For the families that opt to go to school, uh, the kids will be in school two days a week and at home for three. So I have gotten together with three other families in my neighborhood where our kids break into roughly two age groups and play beautifully together. And we're kind of all on the same page about how we structure things and how that kind of our expectations of our kids and all of that. And so we've put together a plan where the kids will rotate houses. They'll stay together as a group, but they'll go house to house. So they'll get to get their backpacks on and pack their lunches and feel like they're going to school with some friends. And that'll give the families in the group, the parents in the group, a little bit of a break here and there. I'm saying parents, 
The truth is it's mostly the moms. I have feelings about that, but I'm working through them. And I'm really grateful to not be doing this all alone, just having other people to talk with about what's the best way to set up the room and what are we trying to accomplish here and how much beyond what the school is planning do we need to plan. It's been a real relief for me. So we'll see how it goes tomorrow, but I am feeling more confident than I felt in the spring when we were doing all virtual. Mm -hmm. So there's that. Yeah, I've also put out a a call for help. I have a a former babysitter who is currently nannying for me because I just was at the end of my rope and she's been like huge. I mean, she will sit with Felix while he does his kindergarten class. She has taken him to the park so I can record in the quiet. Like you just got to do what you can do because I think we all kind of shined it on through the spring. But that was not a long term strategy. I think, as we're all realizing. And so it's time to figure out what our long-term strategy is going to be. Yeah. And for me, it is asking for help. I am literally, Mm -hmm. every time I have a problem, making columns on a sheet of paper that are like, what has been working? What has not been working? Who can work with me on this? Where can I get some help? And knowing that I'm in this with other people. And we were before. We were in it with other people in the spring. We were just all doing it alone. And I recognize all the problems here. I am so aware of the fact that these parenting pods perpetuate inequality in education and equity, that we are so privileged. Like, I, I get all of that. I am sick about it in a lot of ways. And I'm also trying to meet the problems that are in front of me with the resources that I have and do what I can in the community otherwise. And so this is kind of where I have come down. We will shepherd this group of eight kids through this the best we can, get them back in school and do our best to help everybody from there. So Megan reached out to us about the start of school because like us, she has a rising kindergartner. My son Felix is starting kindergarten and Beth's daughter Ellen is starting kindergarten. And Megan said, I have a rising kindergartner. Last spring, it was hard to miss his pre-K graduation. His school did a drive through graduation, which was beautiful and painful and weird and fun all at the same time. But at the time, I assumed, as we all did, that everything would be right again by August and kindergarten would go on as planned. Clearly, that's not what happened. I just got off a Zoom meeting for kindergarten orientation, and I'm so sad. There will be no walking him to class on his first day, no meeting his teacher in person, no showing him where his classroom is in advance even, no open house night in the fall, no volunteering in his classroom, no special events, nothing, nothing, nothing. And I'm so sad. It's not at all the way it should be. There's that layer of sadness compounded with a layer of worry about if we're even making the right choice to send our kids back to brick-and-mortar classrooms. It's hard to get excited for the start of a new school year. I know you both have rising kindergartners. What are you doing to welcome the start of this new but very decidedly not normal year? I'm struggling to allow myself the freedom to be excited over something that also feels so scary, but I do want him to be excited even if he does have to start kindergarten behind a mask and a plexiglass desk shield. This is not direct to Megan's question, but can I just circle everybody up for a second? Gang, just come on in. Bring it in. If you make a decision and someone in your family or you yourself get COVID-19, that is not a moral failure. Mm -hmm. We are putting a level of pressure on ourselves about decision making that is unhealthy right now. That is unhealthy and unwise and uncalled for. We've spent a lot of time on pantsuit politics lately. Sarah has been preaching the gospel of we are not a collection of individuals. We are a group. And 
my school, if they make the decision that they can bring kids back safely, my kids are going to go back because I have to trust that they're making the best decision that they can and that they care about my kids and our community as much as I do. That might not be the right decision for everybody, but it is also not wrong if you take that option and it goes badly, as it could. All of living through COVID-19 is going to be about risk calculus. How much risk are you willing to tolerate because there is some risk in every kind of plan? So the first thing I want to say, Megan, is bless you for caring this much I would love to alleviate that question of whether you're doing the right thing for you because the answer is unknowable and it will not have been the wrong thing if somebody gets sick. It will be terrible and I don't want that to happen, but it doesn't mean that you failed. That's just the world we're living in right now. It comes with a lot of risks and some of them are going to be worth taking along the way in service of bigger picture goals. And that's okay. Well, and it's the world we've always lived in. Absolutely. We're just seeing it more clearly now. Like, here, let me give you the perfect example. So, you know, I am absolutely sad that I cannot walk Felix in to kindergarten. When he gets to go on Thursday, I'm so happy he gets to go. You know why he gets to go? Because simultaneously, a lot of my friends made the decision to keep their kids home. And that opened up space for social distancing. So in-person was even an option to begin with. That is like the truest representation to me of the interconnectedness of our decision making and the fact that this is a community endeavor, not an individual one. I get to send my kids literally because other people didn't. So who's right and who's wrong? Both of us. Neither of us. That's not the framework we can use for this any longer, the moralizing about our decision making when our decisions are so interconnected to one another. We just have to stop. Even my husband and I were talking about Sturgis, and he was like doing his usual like, oh, these idiots who did. And I'm like, hey, how about this? How about we do this instead? How about we do? It's not surprising that a community that is formed based on a Low risk threshold. If you're riding a motorcycle regularly, you already have a pretty low threshold. Or I guess the opposite. You have a pretty high threshold for risk, right? Because you ride motorcycles. And so, of course, if you ride motorcycles and your risk threshold is already high, then gathering during a pandemic would be accessible to you. So instead of making this about intelligence or moralizing, let's just make it about our risk threshold. And look how interdependent these risk thresholds are in a situation like school, right? Because my friend stayed home, literally. That's why we can go, because the classes are small enough they feel like they can do it safely. But that doesn't mean I'm not sad. And, you know, I'm really lucky. I'm telling myself, well, he can walk in with his brother, who will be there with him. And I always and forever want to build that relationship and and show what a gift their siblings are to them. Great. Another opportunity to do that. And, I, you know, it's just this is this is the truest manifestation of everything with parenting, which is it's always about adaptability. It's always about keeping your eye on the long term goal, which is to build happy, resilient kids. And, you know, Kristen Howerton wrote a, a great essay for The Washington Post where she said just that this is what we're doing. This is what we're teaching this school year, grit and resilience, which is something we all know our kids need. And sometimes it's hard because, you know, 
we want to create these perfectly controlled environments for, in which they can formulate grit and resilience. That's what I always tell. I had a therapist once be like, well, you don't want you don't want them to ever be sad. And I'm like, well, no, of course, I want my kids to be sad in the exact way that I have chosen for them to be sad that is developmentally appropriate and something that I'm prepared to handle. And she was like, mm-hmm, does that sound realistic to you? And I was like, maybe not. Shut up. But like that's this is. What happens, right? We don't get to choose the ways that they are going to learn grit and resilience. And we don't get to choose the ways that we have to sometimes loosen our grip on them. You know, we we want it to be at these preordained times and that's not how it works. And, you know, I am sad that that my hand is being forced in kindergarten in ways I would not have chosen. But I have no doubt Felix has taught me this over and over again with his um, hemiplegia. Like, I don't get to choose. He's going to make his own path. And it's a path, for better or for worse, I don't understand for a lot of reasons that I don't have a physical disability like he does. And so watching him do that and realizing, like, he always rises to the occasion. And even when he doesn't, when he stumbles, that's what we're here for. And that's what we're all here for each other right now, because there's going to be lots of stumbles and there's going to be lots of grief. But we're also going to see really beautiful moments that would have never been available to us had we had a quote unquote regular school year. I think where I'm coming from on this is probably a little bit different because I don't have super happy memories of school. I was really great at school. And because of that, it stressed me out enormously. And so I have in many ways de-emphasized aspects of school that probably are a very big deal in other houses just because I'm overcorrecting, right? I don't want my kids' identity to be so bound up in being good Mm -hmm. students that they have the kind of literal heartburn that I dealt with. And so when Jane went to kindergarten, we were excited. We bought a new backpack and outfit, right? We took the pictures on the first day and we said, go get them. And she wanted to ride the bus the next time. And so she did, you know, and we probably would have put Ellen on the bus on the first day because she thinks riding the bus is the pinnacle of coolness right now. And I want them to see this as an opportunity to just be independent human beings in the world. And so I don't really have the kind of sentimental sadness that Megan has. And I value that in you, Megan. It's just not where I'm starting. I am trying to make this special by pointing out that we are lucky that Mm -hmm. we can buy a computer for you to use. We can buy school supplies and set up a really fun area that you get not only the attention of your parents who are fortunate enough to work from home, but also these bonus parents who are going to allow you into their homes and to play with their kids and who I'm sure are going to hand you snacks and tie your shoes when you need help and answer your questions. And look how lucky we are to have all these supportive people around us. And let's be sure that where we can help somebody else, we do that. And I think that is part of what I want to teach my kids more than anything else. I think we're trying to center community instead of that individual experience of like your big day starting kindergarten. It's more, hey, we're all starting school now and it's going to affect all of us. And we're going to do our best to make that really fun. And also there are going to be things about it that are hard and that are not great and That's just what living as a human being in the world is. And I do feel like that is probably more valuable than what I could have done in a normal school year for my kids. That is probably the lesson my kids need to learn, that sometimes it doesn't go the way that you want it to. 
uh, because mm-hmm. pretty much everything else in my kids' lives goes the way they want it to. And I'm just mm-hmm. trying to embrace this as what they need to be taught right now. Also, the upside of celebrating everything with cookie cake, as I do, and that is our very specific cookie cake tradition, is we get a cookie cake on the first day of school, is COVID can't stop cookie cake. We'll still be having the cookie cake, y'all, believe. We're going to end the day tomorrow with those cupcakes that you bake in ice cream cones, and then you put the frosting on so it looks like you're having an ice cream cone, but you're actually having a cupcake, Mm. and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Love it. So lots of celebrations available even around this difficult time. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. We also heard from Hannah, who is commemorating the completion of her daughter's kindergarten IEP. We're very kindergarten-centered today, which feels appropriate. It's a new beginning all around. Hannah's daughter, Juliana, has Down syndrome, and the fact that she has an IEP is not new to their family. She said, we've had therapists in our lives since she was six weeks old, and we've been talking about kindergarten and planning for it since she was two. She has done all kinds of work, as lots of parents of Down syndrome children do, to understand her options, to think through what's going to be best for her child. And she's been meeting with the school district, planning the transition from preschool to elementary school for nine months. She said she's lost count of the number of phone calls and meetings at this point. It felt at times like the IEP would be a make or break situation for her whole future. And she said, as everything was hitting its peak, the pandemic happened. And while school went on hold a bit, IEP planning did not. We continued with Zoom meetings, which led to a 17-person Zoom IEP meeting. Hannah says, I know that for many, it will seem like this is overblown. It's kindergarten. But we were advocating for our daughter to be included in a general education class, which isn't typical in their district for a child with an intellectual disability, despite the fact that research says it can be beneficial both for the child with Down syndrome and their peers. She said it's hard to move back into general education once you start in a special ed classroom. Mm. There were a lot of difficult conversations, a lot of agreeing to disagree about the methods, if not the goals. But once they finally reached agreement, it was such a relief. Hannah said, I wanted to scream from the rooftop and few people can understand what that feels like. So today, she says, when I opened the mail and found the official copy of our daughter's IEP stating that she would be at our neighborhood school with her brother, cousins, and friends from the neighborhood, it arrived days before we start hybrid summer school and as New York announces plans for the fall. But instead of getting overwhelmed, I am celebrating that this part of our journey is done. Oh, I'm so happy for Hannah. And first, let me say that Griffin, my eldest son, was in a general education kindergarten class with another little girl with Down syndrome. And it was absolutely, without a doubt, a blessing to him and to the little girl. 
to be in class together and to learn together. I'm so glad that Hannah fought for that and that the her daughter is starting, even in a new hybrid way, at the neighborhood school. I'm reading Far From the Tree by Andrew Solomon, and he really does a lot of examination of horizontal identities. So there's vertical identities, things like race, sometimes religion, nationality that we pass on to our kids. And then sometimes our kids pop up beside us with identities we do not share, like Down syndrome, like a disability, like deafness, like others, you know, even genius levels IQ, just lots of things that he's talking about. And I think that there is a level of just self-awareness that you are called upon when your child exhibits one of these horizontal identities, um, especially when you start interacting with the school system and an IEP that is incredibly difficult and also incredibly life-giving, like just that sort of that journey you go on advocating for your child, seeing as best you can the world through your child's eyes and your child's unique challenges is just it's it's something to behold. It's difficult to put into words. It's it is absolutely without a doubt something to celebrate and commemorate like Hannah is doing here with the completion of this IEP. I was speaking with a friend last week who there is not a classroom within an hour's drive from our house that is appropriate for her child. Mm. It is a travesty that her child cannot learn anywhere near her home. So they are having to go to extraordinary effort to find the funding for her to go into a classroom that is appropriate for her. Not even appropriate, but just like baseline a place where she can learn well. And they're going to have to drive endlessly. And it makes me feel really silly about the way that I think about school sometimes because school is built for my kids. Even Mm -hmm. if it's not perfect or what I would choose in every corner, it is fundamentally built for my kids. And the amount of planning and preparation that parents have to go through when school is just baseline, not built for their kids – is really an indictment of our society. You know, we just talked on Pantsuit Politics about the party platforms. One thing that I need to give tremendous kudos to the Democratic Party for is the inclusion of people with disabilities, not just in their own special section, which the Republicans have too, the importance of ensuring that we're protecting Americans with disabilities and giving them lots of opportunity, especially in the workplace, But in every aspect of the Democrats' platform, there is a reference to making sure it's accessible and inclusive and making sure that there are opportunities for people with disabilities to flourish. And I think that that holistic approach, remembering that everybody means everybody and everything that we do Mm -hmm. is the aspiration that we need to hold right now. And it's something that we're capable of meeting And so, Hannah, I think that this is so commemoration worthy on so many levels, and I hope that you especially know that you have moved mountains that you ought not have had to to make this happen, Mm -hmm. Um, and that that is a really special gift to your daughter, to her school district, to your community, that you did that work.
think you're exactly right. It reminds me of something I read in Far From Home. He says, Tobin Cybers makes a moving case for horizontal solidarity by pointing out that our disdain for people who cannot care for themselves is rooted in a false proposition. He argues that inclusion of disabled people exposes the widespread dependence of people and nations on one another, dispelling the dangerous myth that individuals or nations exist naturally in a state of autonomy and that those individuals or nations that fall into dependence are somehow inferior to others. I mean, that's exactly like what we were talking about at the beginning, right? That we are not autonomous. And the more that we have people like Hannah pushing for inclusion, pushing for seats at the table, so that we realize we're sitting at a table. (laughs) We need each other. And not just people with IEPs. Her classmates need her as much as she needs them. I saw that with my son's kindergarten class. And I needed my friends that stayed home as much as they needed me to go to in-person instruction. We need each other. We are interdependent. And, you know, I think public school is the place that we are really, really supposed to see that and learn that and experience that. And so I'm so thankful for Hannah and all the parents just like her who push that beautiful vision and bring it to fruition. I think that a lot of us who believe what you just said or who are on a journey to really internalizing that then feel this corresponding pressure to see everything. And that is not the call. Because just as we are Mm -hmm. not living individually, we need other people. We can't plan as individuals. So it's not a terrible failure that we have gaps. The failure is when those of us who have created the gap greet someone like Hannah as a pain. That's Mm -hmm. the failing. The call is not that you anticipate the needs of every human being. It is that when someone else sees a need that you missed, you say, thank you. Tell me more about that. What can we do? That's true in schools. It's true in businesses. It's true everywhere. It's true in our politics. So I think just adopting the mindset, not that I have to be like an Olympic athlete of inclusion, but always being willing to listen and to ask the question, who who is not here? Who needs to be here to make this decision? Whose voice are we not hearing? And when you hear that voice, really listening and then thanking Hannah for being that advocate for her daughter, because so many other children are going to be helped through her advocacy. Well, because I think it's people hear what you're saying or they see that like someone's been left out or there's been a problem and it becomes this slippery slope of, well, now we can't prioritize and now everything is right and that everything is subjective and everyone must be included. And, you know, I, I just can I can hear the sort of why people harden in the face of this was missed when that's not the point. The point is not everything must be included. There can never be prioritization or that we won't continue to get things wrong or that you're always wrong, that the school administrators are always wrong. That's not the point either. Like, I just, I wish there was some softness around this, that there is complexity, that we will continue to get it wrong, that we're all still trying to figure this out, particularly if we're talking about the current school year. 
And that it doesn't have to be this all or nothing, all individualism or all collectivism. I mean, the truth is right that the best path forward is in a balance between the two. That's what an IEP is. <laughs> it's a balance. And I don't know, balance is a, even a, a loaded word in certain situations, but I, I don't know of a better one right now. And I, I wish that we, except for grace. A dance. It's a dance, right? A dance. Right, right. I think that's that's what we're looking at right now. And that's what, I mean, really, that's what we're always dealing with. It was just, again, hidden before COVID-19 forced us to look at all this stuff with really clear eyes. We hope that you are all finding some softness right now. I think that's our best wish for you, that you're finding some softness, whether you're sending a kid to kindergarten, whether you're starting a grad school program online, whether you are a teacher or administrator trying to figure this out or a school board member making decisions or a community observer of the entire school process trying to figure out where these principles fit in the rest of your lives. We hope you're finding some softness. We'll be on hot mic tomorrow night, Thursday evening, watching the Republican National Convention in community. We would love for you to join Join us there. Pantsuit Politics will have new shows on Friday and Tuesday, and we'll be here again taking your advice questions and celebrating your commemorations next Wednesday. Thanks for joining us. Keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces The Nuance Life. Elise Knapp is our managing director. The Nuance Life is listener supported. Go to patreon.com slash the nuance life. For $5 each month, you'll receive an entire bonus episode of The Nuance Life. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Dylan Garvin is the composer and performer of our ad music. For more information about The Nuance Life and to connect with us through our weekly email, visit pantsuitpoliticsshow.com.